2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us or supposedly from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. I want to focus on verse 2, that you be not soon shaken in mind. And I'd like to speak to you for a little while on the theme, unshakable faith. Why don't you turn to someone near you and just say that, unshakable faith. God bless you. Please be seated. I know that some of you have never experienced what I'm going to ask. But have you ever been so afraid, so amped up or anxious that you were shaking and could not stop? There's some hunters in the room that could attest to buck fever. Where your adrenaline is coursing through your body. And you're shaking and you just can't stop. You're not all shook up, but you're just shaking really badly. Well, that's the adrenaline rush that comes from your increased uh, effect of adrenaline and your sympathetic nervous system. And maybe it's flight or fight or something else, but you're pretty pumped up and you're shaking. I was uh, thinking about this. And if you look in the Bible, there are some people who are physically shaking. King Saul. When he saw he was outnumbered by the Philistines, the Bible said that he was greatly afraid and he, his heart greatly trembled. That pagan king Belshazzar, when they were drinking in the sanctified vessels of gold and silver and worshiping the pagan gods of gold and silver, he saw a hand, fingers appear and begin to write on the wall, was interpreted, your kingdom is measured and found wanting is taken from you and the bible says that when he saw this he was praising these gods and he saw these fingers writing on the wall that his thoughts troubled him his joints of his hip were loosened and his knees knocked one against the other he was really afraid and i don't know about you but if i was in my house and I saw a hand appear out of nowhere, start writing some really bad things about me on the wall, I might experience the same phenomenon of shaking. Amen. Resurrection, Sunday morning. The Roman guards who are there to protect the tomb of Jesus from somebody stealing his body, they all of a sudden began to shake when they saw an angel. They fell down and fainted and became his dead men. The Bible says. And then there is this guy named Felix in the Bible. While Paul was preaching to him about righteousness and judgment to come. The Bible said that Felix trembled. And he said, go your way. I'll call for you at a more convenient season. Examples in the Bible of people who were physically, emotionally, and mentally shaken by what they heard are by what they saw. Well, you can be shaken in your mind, and it can sh make your body shake, cause your body to shake. Or your belief system can come under attack. 
And you can be shaken to the point that you do not know what to believe or what you really think. And what was clear yesterday is cloudy today. And when you entertain error, it allows the clouds of confusion to roll into your spirit and mind. The book of 2 Thessalonians was written to address a fear that had gripped the saints of the church in Thessalonica. Now, these saints were mostly Gentiles. Paul said they were turned from idols to God. So they were probably first generation Christians. They were not like many of the Jewish believers who became Christians, who had generations of foundation in the Bible. The Bible said there was an advantage to being a Jew uh, primarily that they had the oracles of God. But these Thessalonian believers were relatively new in the Lord. Thessalonica, or Thessaloniki as it's called today. Right now it's the second largest city in Greece. Supposed to be a pretty hip city. Back then it wasn't so much a military town like Philippi. It was a prosperous city. And these Christians, these new believers in Jesus had experienced trouble and persecution for their faith. They were already going through it. Paul addresses this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. He speaks of their suffering that they're going through. And all of this thing is happening. All of this is happening to them. And then something else kind of piles on to their faith. Paul writes about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He tells them that they are hearing something or believing something. So they're already pretty battered in their beliefs. But now they're hearing some things that has them all shook up. Let's read it again. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 1. Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our gathering together to Him. So he's talking about the end of things. The coming of the Lord. He has already written them in 1 Thessalonians about the order of the resurrection, that the dead in Christ rise first. We that are alive and remain are caught up together with them to meet the Lord you know, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. He wrote to them about the end of all things, the catching away of the saints. Now in 2 Thessalonians, between then and now, they've heard some things that have shaken their faith. So he tells them, are gathering together unto him. We ask you, verse 2, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit, he gives three things, or by word or by letter as if from us. And you'll kind of get the context of this, that possibly a forgery that someone had written to them. Paul doesn't really know if this erroneous doctrine had come by a word, by gift of the Spirit, or by a word of a false teacher, or by some letter that had been sent to them, a forgery ascribed to Paul. And so he mentions these three possibilities to them that they are kind of trying to, he doesn't even know, but maybe it was uh, in, in the church service that there is a, a message in tongues and interpretation or a prophecy that did not line up to the Bible. 
Now, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit, that they operate in the church, but they are always subject to the Bible. Amen. And we always hold everything we hear, whether it is preached and taught or it is used by the gift of the Spirit, we hold it up to the written Word of God that the Bible calls a more sure or certain word of prophecy. So, you know, Paul would dictate his letters very often, and especially in 2 Thessalonians, he signed it. He wanted them to know that this letter that I'm writing to you now is not a forgery. I don't know if somebody prophesied a false doctrine. I don't know if a false teacher came in among you and they introduced some erroneous belief that has got you all shook up. I don't know if somebody forged a letter and they said, by the hand of Paul, and they sent it to you, and this has you all shaken up in your faith. But Paul says, you are soon shaken. Something has thrown you off course and messed you up. And obviously, the motive behind this is to overthrow your faith. Now, in the church, we traffic in truth and in trust. Amen. We believe the truth, and we believe that it must be taught with accuracy and integrity. But because sometimes we trust teaching, we don't always hold it up to the Bible, and we can be gullible to believe something that is not sound doctrine. So these Thessalonian Christians have believed something, whether it came by spirit, by word, or by letter, and it has gotten them all shaken up in their walk with God. Now Paul tells them what to do with people like this if you keep going in this book, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. But we command you. Anybody like to be commanded? Ministers are supposed to be able to rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. But if I got up here and said today, I command you, whoa, there will be a lot of resistance here today. That's our fault that we feel that way. Paul wrote to them, I command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition or the teaching which he received from us. Now, I'll get to this later maybe, but tradition here does not mean something passed down that was man-made. It's talking about a teaching that is being given to you historically or by a spiritual leader. And then Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3.13, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. As long as he's still in truth, but he's kind of drifting away, you don't hang out with him, you warn him. And there's a time that you cut off that relationship. So Paul has given them some instructions that if somebody walks into your life, they flatter their way in your life. They have some kind of intellectual spin on the Bible and they impress you. But if their doctrine is not sound, Paul is very clear to these believers that you walk away from them. You run for your spiritual life. You get out of there. Amen. Now Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 
that we should beware of false prophets. If there are truth tellers, there are also heretics. There are those who pretend to be telling the truth, but are subverting, twisting, or perverting, or overthrowing all Bible words, your faith. Amen. Jesus said, they're going to come to you dressed up like sheep. They're going to look like you. But they're wolves inside. They're ravening wolves. And then he says, here's how you know. Look at their life. Look at the way they live. And he said, you will know them by their fruits. And he gives some examples. If you want to get grapes, you don't go to a thorn bush. If you want to get figs, you don't go to a thistle bush. You will never find good fruit growing in a life that doesn't exhibit the fruit of the Spirit and godliness. So Jesus said it is impossible for that bad tree to bear good fruit. And you will know them by the way they live. My grandfather used to say, I don't judge people, but I am a fruit inspector. These new believers don't have generations, as I've said, so they're messed up. They have believed someone or some letter or some prophecy that the day of Christ, and you can look at this any way you'd like, study it out, the day of the Lord, which Old and New Testament refers to a time of judgment, that the day of Christ had already come. Somehow they believed that the Lord had come, and now they're living in the time of the day of the Lord or a day of God's wrath on the earth. Now, that's pretty demotivational. If you think you missed the rapture, and maybe you think you've got to go through the great tribulation and hope that you'll lay down your life. We don't know really how convoluted their thinking had become, but they believed one thing, and it led them to discouragement, and they're all shaken up in their mind. Well, Paul exposes this errant doctrine. He reinforces the truth of the coming of the Lord. Verse 2 again. Not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come or had already begun. You can see why they are shaken and they're struggling. This event they thought had already happened. Now, Paul says... I just want you all to settle down and I want you to understand that there are three things that are going to happen before the judgment of God is poured out on this earth. Now there's a lot of prophecy teaching that can be done from these three concise points that I'm going to make. But Paul tells us in verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. There will be an apostasy. There will be a turning away from the Lord. And then he says in verse 3, And the man of sin is revealed. He doesn't call him the Antichrist here, but that's exactly who he refers to. The Antichrist will be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or all that is worshipped, so that he sits in the temple as God, sits in the, excuse me, he sits as God, in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So Paul says, there will be an apostasy of falling away. The Antichrist will be revealed. And then he says, 
that there's another thing that will take place, verses 6 and 7. And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his time. There's something that is holding all of this back. I believe it holds back the apostasy. It certainly holds back this antichrist from being revealed. I think Paul sees this as the number one thing that is holding this back. For the mystery of lawlessness or iniquity, the King James says, is already at work. It was working in the days of the apostles 2,000 or so years ago. There was a spirit of the Antichrist. John wrote about it in his epistles that was already working in the earth. I don't know who the Antichrist is. You can read a long list of suspects that have been given in history all the way back, including Hitler and someone even said Ronald Reagan because his first, middle, and last name have six letters in it. Most of us wouldn't believe that about Reagan. But anyway, it could be anybody. And the spirit of that Antichrist has already at work, Paul said, even in their day. And it is at work in 2022. There's a spirit that is against Christ that would like to try to worm its way into your mind and subvert, to twist, and mess you up and cause you to be troubled in your walk with God. Paul said, there is something that is holding this all back. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Verse 7. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now Paul said you know this. We don't know if they got it from 1 Thessalonians or words that he spoke when he was with them. But the Thessalonians knew what Paul was talking about when he spoke about this restraining force. It is my conclusion after having studied this for many years, that the restraining force, he calls it a hymn, is the spirit of Almighty God that is in the earth. I believe that this spirit is clearly in the church. We are Holy Ghost-filled people. And the Holy Ghost lives in us. And the spirit of God in us is holding back all hell from breaking loose on planet earth. You may think it's bad now, but you wait till the moment of a twinkling of an eye takes place and we are gone and there is no more spirit in the church and the church is out of here. I believe that's what's holding it all back before it all breaks loose. Well, Paul is saying to them, you're still here. It's not too late. But he's concerned for them. Their concern is that they had believed that the day of the Lord was already in process, this day of judgment. But Paul wants them to understand that you have believed a lie. You have believed something that is not true. Amen. And he wants to write this entire book. It's a short three chapters to set the record straight, to get them back on track. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 1 again. Now, brethren, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter. Remember, a gift of the Spirit, a false teacher, or an erroneous letter. Now, this word shaken, you know, the Bible has a lot of word pictures. We hear a word shaken. That's why I talked about shaking. They're shaken in mind. 
And the word is a word picture from the Greek that is a picture of a ship being tossed on a stormy sea. Think about a boat without a motor, a sailboat on the Sea of Galilee or on the Mediterranean. They could have seen both in their day. And there is a storm and that ship is being tossed everywhere. Paul said, your minds in the Thessalonian church are just like that. You don't know which way is up. You don't know where land is. You don't know north from south. You're just like a ship being tossed at sea. You're shaken by what you have heard. Tossed by the swelling of the sea. He said it's happened in your mind. You've lost rational thought. You're not thinking clearly. That's what mind is here. It's, it's judgment. Sober sense that they have lost. And that they are troubled. That means that they are thrown into doctrinal confusion. So things are pretty bad. Thessalonica. Because they have believed something that is not true. Paul talks about the coming of this lawless one in verse 9. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all power, signs, and lying wonders. Let me pause right here. That the Antichrist, according to what Paul said, he will have the power to work lying wonders. Just like Pharaoh's magicians could for a while. But after a while, there was a separation between the miracles that Moses performed and the magical tricks that Pharaoh's people performed. And the test is not the miracle. The test is truth. That if a person works a miracle but doesn't adhere to truth in the Old Testament, they were to put that person to death. That's why in Acts 4, they asked the apostles, by what power or by what name have you done this? They had authority in the Old Testament to do away with false prophets. Paul said that they're coming with lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Now listen to this very carefully. Because they did not receive. Everybody say receive. receive. Now you've got to receive before you can believe. They did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them, people who did not receive the love of the truth. He will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. They heard the truth. They didn't receive it. They didn't love it. So now here comes something else. Delusion from God. And it's a lie that God sends to people who do not believe and love the truth. And now they are deluded. They believe adamantly a lie. Verse 12, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So I want to take a few moments to walk through this because this is critical to your faith and to your eternal destiny. Amen. Satan is a deceiver, but he cannot stop you from knowing and loving truth. He can tempt you, but he cannot make you give in to temptation. The devil cannot make you give in. He can appeal to you like he always has. Through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. All temptation is common to man. 
it always come through, comes through one of those gates, okay? It's all like all the same, but it is all different for each person. Satan can try to deceive you, but Satan will never delude you. God does that. People will perish, Paul said, because they did not love the truth. They didn't love the truth, so they had no choice but to believe and love a lie, a spirit of delusion. So understand this. Satan sends deception, but God sends delusion. Delusion is an active power that misleads a person down the wrong path, away from truth, and toward error. So the Bible is very plain here, that if you do not believe and love the truth, both words are used, receive, believe, and love, three words, you will be led away from truth because you do not love it. Now, this is pretty scary, that delusion and revelation feel the same. They both come from God. My good friend Chuck Carr said that revelation and delusion feel the same. Because a person that is seeing truth, I like the word illumination better, that God is putting light on his word, and you are walking in the light as he is in the light, and God is cleansing you from sin. It is like the path of the just that is a shining light that shines more and more to the perfect day till the full sunlight of noon is the imagery of the Old Testament there. But now somebody has told these Thessalonians an error and they are shaken by it. They have believed it and Paul is warning them that you have heard something that is not true. It is illogical. It is different from what we wrote in 1 Thessalonians. It is not sound doctrine. And you need to be careful to run from it for everything that is in you. And you need to make sure that the greatest preventative from falling into error is falling in love with the truth. Amen. Truth is often inconvenient. Truth confronts my will. Truth convicts me of sin. Truth tells me I'm on the wrong path. But truth changes me. It converts me. It makes me like God. It saves my soul from hell. Hallelujah. Romans 1, Paul said that when they, they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. They were not thankful. They became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Either they're walking toward truth or walking away from truth. And when you reject truth, you begin to walk toward darkness and you have no fellowship and no cleansing that comes. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, John wrote in 1 John 1 and 7, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, when I received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and when you did too, Jesus Christ wrote his law into our hearts, right? It was the law of God because God's law... Is the, is the written expression of who he is. God is holy. He is just. And when he gave you his spirit, he gave you the Holy Spirit. You received the spirit of Almighty God when you received the Holy Ghost. And so the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, will never lead you to do something that is unholy. Right? That's a revelation. His law, Jeremiah 31 said... Is written in your heart. It is the person of God himself. That is implanted in you by the Holy Ghost. 
So when a person rejects truth, they're not just rejecting truth one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, or ten, like the Ten Commandments. They're rejecting the person of truth. That's why the Bible said when you are guilty of the law in one point, you're guilty of the whole law. You can't be one-tenth wrong with God. You're either in or out. That doesn't mean you're perfect, but that means you know what is right. And when you do what is right, God, God blesses you. And when you sin, you repent, and God forgives you. I don't think my wife would buy into a relationship. I said, you know, I love you, but I'm 90% faithful to you. Think that works? I'm saying this in the context of Ten Commandments. You're either faithful to God or you're unfaithful to God. Again, I'm not saying that makes you perfect. I'm not saying you don't struggle. But we're talking about truth and error. We're talking about deception and delusion. And if you love God, then you got to be all in. Amen? 100% everything He says with everything in me. I embrace Him and I do not give room for error. You cannot give room for error. So let me say it like this. When you reject truth, you don't just reject a precept. Commandment number 126 or whatever, how many you think there are. You reject not the precept, but the person of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He embodied all truth. And when you receive the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit... It is in the embodiment of Almighty God inside of you. I want you to understand how we treat truth really matters about our soul. And we don't pick and choose what we obey and what we exclude from our lives. And these Thessalonians are troubled because they have believed something that was not true. Paul had taught them something right. Now they're, they're shaken up. Now, there's a theme that runs through Thessalonians. First and second, it's about the coming of the Lord. But then he really talks to them about being established. And I love this because these are new believers. Remember, primarily Gentiles. They turn from idols to serve the living God. So Paul is trying to establish them. He wants them to be solid, not squishy. He wants them to be stable, not unstable, right? He's trying to get them to be consistent Christians. So this runs through the book. I'm just going to read through Several verses for you to kind of be an aha moment, hopefully, was for me to see how many times the idea of stability occurs in First and Second Thessalonians. First Thessalonians 3 and 8. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. First Thessalonians 3.12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ of all his saints. Second Thessalonians 2, 1 and 2, our text. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or word or letter, as from us, as though the day of Christ has come. Second Thessalonians. 2, 13 through 15. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren. Beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning 
chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You see this? You believe the truth. God chose you, but you believe the truth. Verse 14. To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren and sisters, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Not a false letter, but what we wrote to you referring back to 1 Thessalonians and now 2 Thessalonians. And here it is in my notes that traditions did not mean like we think of a Christmas for tradition or a family tradition. It refers to doctrine delivered by the apostle, whether by preaching or in private or by letter. They called it a traditional teaching, but it wasn't how we make that word a very light word, not a very heavy word. And the reason I'm saying that is some people say that apostolic people, oneness Pentecostals, teach a lot of traditions and they use this word. We teach traditions that are biblical truths that we've lived through generations. It is our tradition, but it is not based on emptiness. It is based on biblical principles. 2 Thessalonians 2.16 Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts. Remember, they were all shook up. We want him to comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Now if you think about that over and over, Paul is writing to them and saying, I want you to be stable. You've got to dig deep in your walk with God. You need to protect yourself. You need to guard against false gifts, false people, false writings that will overthrow your faith and be sound in doctrine and let God establish you in your faith. Amen. Now in the Bible, there's a lot written about God shaking this earth. In Isaiah 2, the Lord said that He would shake, terribly shake the earth. And that because of this, people would run into the holes and rocks and caves of the earth for the fear of the Lord. Isaiah talked about this again. Isaiah 13, I will shake the heavens and the earth that were moved out of their place. Ezekiel wrote about God shaking. His fury will come up. There will be a great shaking in the land of Israel. There will men will shake at my presence and mountains will be thrown down and steep places will fall and every wall shall fall to the ground and the Lord will bring his sword against evil people and it's a long prophetic passage. In the book of Joel, Joel said that the Lord would shake the earth and heavens. Haggai wrote about the Lord will shake heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and God would shake all nations. In the New Testament, Jesus said that the powers of heaven would be shaken, that the stars of heaven would fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. Men's hearts 
would fail them for fear for the things coming on the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament, of course, to all of us wrote this in Hebrews 12.25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now has promised, saying, Yet once more, speaking of the end of time, will I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. This writer is saying, I know we're in the New Testament, but God is not a touchy-feely God who looks the other way of sin. In fact, He commands all men everywhere to repent. Paul said in Acts 17, He is a consuming fire. And the writer wants us to understand that we are living in a world where everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And people who are not solid and established in their faith will be shaken by philosophy, by false teachers, by the internet, by social media, by the contemporary culture, by teaching in schools and wherever you hear it, however you hear it. But I've come today on this Sunday afternoon to tell you, do not be soon shaken. Don't let Satan knock you off your game. Don't let anybody shake you away from your faith. It is time for us to stand up, to dig deep, to establish our walk with God. Amen. If you're able, please stand. I recognize that this message is content heavy. Lots of scripture. I don't have anything else to preach but the Bible. But lots of scripture. But I wanted you to see that the Thessalonians were shaken. Why they were shaken. And how much effort Paul went through to try to tell them you've got to be established in the faith. There is a shaking coming to this earth. And only those who are established will not be moved. Jesus spoke about this. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, but in Luke chapter 6, Jesus spoke about people that hear these sayings of mine and do them. It's not just being a hearer, but it's being a doer of what we hear, what God says. Jesus said he's like a man who built his house and he digged deep. Remember Matthew 7 the wise man built his house upon a rock and the foolish man built his house upon the sand. Hopefully we all sang that in Sunday school if you grew up in church. When you read it in Matthew, you wonder if the guy that built his house on sand lived down here and the guy that built his house on the rock lived way over there somewhere. But when I read this story in Luke, Jesus' teaching, I realize they could have been next door neighbors. And one guy... He scoops away the surface. He builds, hastily builds a little house. 
big house. It doesn't matter. But it's just built on sand. It's hastily built. But then this man, Jesus says, he digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. This guy, maybe his next door neighbor, we don't know that, but, but they could be. One sand, one And this guy had a lot of sand to deal with. In our world, there's a lot of people that were not raised in church. They're not like the Jewish people, not like some of us who are third, fourth, and fifth generation Pentecostals. Some of us struggle too, right? So we need that tradition, that heritage to help us, not hurt us. I could talk about that too, right? But no matter who you are, there, there are some people that come to God. They've never heard of Scripture. They don't know Jesus wept, John 3, 16. They certainly don't know Acts 2, 38. They're like the Thessalonians who've just walked into this brand new. And I think this man in Luke that Jesus speaks about is like that. But this man who had a lot of sand in his life, he might have had to dig through generations of infidelity of his family, lawlessness, ungodliness, instability. I don't know what he had to dig through. I don't know what you have to dig through to find rock in your life. But he kept digging. And the Bible said he digged down and he laid the foundation on a rock. And then when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house, it could not shake it. For it was founded upon a rock. Today I want to warn you about the potential that is around us. And I want to encourage you to dig deep and to be established so that you are not easily shaken. The word soon means easily shaken. So soon shaken in mind. It didn't take much for you to be convinced, he says. 